Well, good. Happy Monday morning. I have a little confession to make. It's actually Sunday when I'm recording this in the office studio. I came into downtown Franklin just to do this this morning. Didn't have an opportunity to do it yesterday. <clears throat> and it's cold out. I know it's cold out, first of all, because my Apple Watch says so. It says it's 26 degrees. I also know it's cold out because I felt it. And don't need technology for that, but it is good to have technology to keep you warm. And I have one of those heated vests. You, know, you press the little button and it glows red or blue or white, depending upon what temperature setting you have it set at. And unfortunately, though, I forgot to charge my battery for that. So, but going back to now being fortunate is I've plugged in my vest into a USB power outlet. I don't think that that's dangerous, <laughs> but basically I'm plugged into a power outlet and uh, uh, my, my jacket is keeping me nice and warm. So a lot of technology involved, even in producing this episode. I'm on the recording on the internet right now, and of course that involves all sorts of computer networking stuff, but I still like the older technology when I write my notes of pen and paper. So you'll hear me flip every now and then. Of course, this is episode two of the year. As I mentioned last uh, week, different reading. We jump around between the Psalms and Proverbs and Old and New Testament. So it's kind of an experiment this year. I'm going to keep going with it for the entire year, see how it works out. And then when we finally get to the point 50 weeks from now or 48 weeks when I start deciding, well, what's going to be the next year's reading, I'll certainly take this experience into account. So we're going to start with Psalm 6. And usually with the Psalms and the Proverbs, I usually just write down either a quote from it or some takeaway I have from it. And the takeaway I have from this one is that I am weak, have compassion on me, restore me, save me, weak from all this evil. Can you relate with that? I can certainly relate with that. I'm weak from all this evil in the world right now. Then on to Matthew 5. Pray for those who persecute you. God gives his light to the evil and to the good. You are to be perfect. And then on to Matthew 6. Don't do good deeds publicly. The praise you'll get for public giving is all that they'll get, all that you'll get. God rewards our acts that we do in private. Same with prayer. Do it for your communication to God, not to gain favor and prestige by showing others your piousness. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray. You need to forgive those who sin against you. It's in the Lord's Prayer. If you don't, how can you expect God to forgive you? I know sometimes that's a little bit of a difficult pill to swallow, but you know, you live long enough and your ability to forgive gets tested significantly. I get that. I've been there, and I'm sure that there will be future times. But we are called to forgive no matter what. And just like prayer, do your fasting in private. Don't look disheveled. Don't store up treasures here either on earth. This is my favorite quote in the Bible. It's Matthew 6, 21. And from this translation, NLT, Quote, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also, end quote. This leads to a favorite mantra of mine, that if you have a heart of a servant, you'll always be successful. People ask me sometimes, well, how did you become success? And 
I say that that's how. But the thing about it is that how do you define success? If you dis- define success by serving and you live out serving, you'll always be successful because you'll want to serve. You know, if you define your success on the size of your bank account, can't really help you there. You've got your treasure priorities, I think, a little bit out of whack, my opinion. And then finally, we're reminded that we can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. It's true. What are you chasing? Genesis 14, there was a war. This apparently was the first war. I'm not counting like any sort of sibling rivalry between Cain and Abel. Kings versus kings here. Lot is captured. Abram mobilizes 318 men born into his household and rescues Lot. Abram is blessed by uh, Melchizedek. <laughs> I always have problems with some of the names. And, and rescues Lot. Um, that's the king of Salem. Uh, Abram gives the king, I'm just going to say one, the king, one-tenth of all goods recovered. I'm, I think this is the first tithe, or at least, you know, tithing is so complicated and yet not. But I think we make it out to be complicated. I remember once asking um, when I first moved down south and there was more emphasis on reading the Bible and and henceforth tithing than what my northern Catholic upbringing was used to. And so I asked what I thought was a very, a very logical question. Okay, you're supposed to give a tenth. Is that before or after taxes? And the answer was, what does your heart tell you? And I was one, I wanted to know the answer. That didn't really sit well with me. But really, I think that tithing and giving, you have to give from an unencumbered and joyful heart. I don't know chapter book, chapter, and verse that that is exactly from, but that's what we're taught to do. So I think sometimes people get hung up on this one-tenth thing, but you have to give. And it's not just money, it's your talents, your time. Just even lending an ear sometimes to someone who needs to have someone here to listen to them, to hear what they're going through. So that's when I say I think we make it more complicated it's not that I'm saying that, well, should it be one-tenth before or after taxes or this or that or whatever else? It's like, or what percentage exactly? And does that include investment income and whatever? No, give with a joyful heart. And if you're not giving enough, God will probably let you know. I would think if you're open, if your heart is open to that. Uh, Genesis 15, um, the Lord makes a covenant with Abram. Abram and Sarai will have a son. And remember, they're pretty old right now. And from Abram will grow a great nation with countless descendants. God tells Abram, your descendants will be strangers in a strange land and enslaved for 400 years. This would end up being the Egyptian slavery. But God will punish that nation, Egypt, and enslaves them. And they will come away with great wealth. The Lord made a covenant with Abram, giving the land for his descendants. Ishmael is born to an Egyptian servant per Sarai, perhaps as a response to Abram's revelation regarding his descendants. This is Hagar, of course. So Hagar gives birth to Ishmael because Sarai figured she was barren and couldn't actually conceive. But Abram had this vision, this covenant with God. So there had to be something going on. 
And Sarai treats her with contempt. And an angel of the Lord then comes to Sarai and tells her to, to well, I'm sorry. Um, Sarai tr treats Hagar with contempt, and so Hagar leaves. But then an angel of the Lord comes to Hagar and convinces her to come back and submit to Sarai's authority. And Abra Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. I keep on wanting to say Abraham because we know what's going to happen, but... Uh, then moving on to the next day, we go over to Proverbs 1. Resist the temptations, listen to your parents. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. And that's a quote. Matthew 6 continued, Jesus tells us not to worry about everyday life. The birds are taken care of and we are to be more valuable to God. Can all of your worries be at a single moment to your life? Quote, trust in God, he will provide. And this is actually something that I talked about in the beginning when I was going, when I started my business less than like a month or two in, and I was giving my testimony in front of the Christian Leaders Roundtable in Brentwood, Tennessee, and just a very short um, testimony, four minutes about what I do, why I do it. And one of the things I said is that, yeah, that fear enslaves us and that I'm worth more to God than the birds. And so surely, surely he'll take care of me. And and he has, and I'm convinced that the reason why he has was because of the faith I put in God. Matthew 7, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Get rid of that log in your own eye, then you can help your friend who has a speck in their eye. Now, there's a little problem, I think, with how this is applied sometimes. And I'm thinking from one personal experience, I won't go into the exact details, but somebody threw this up at me when I was pointing out something that was uh, hypocritical. It actually um, had to deal with um, saying that you're a Catholic, but also being in favor of abortion on demand, or rather abortion uh, for convenience, I should say. This wasn't going into the, the, the debate about whether or not the mother's life was impacted. This is more about talking about divorce as a form of contraception. But regardless, the catechism of the Catholic Church is clear. Abortion is a sin. And if you're a Catholic, you are supposed to abide by everything that's in the catechism. And if you claim otherwise, then are you really a Catholic? That's hypocritical. And so I pointed this out to someone who just happened to have been a former Catholic, and they threw up the uh, spec log statement. And I'm like, look, I understand. I have a lot of things that I need to work on with myself. But one of the things we're called to do by Jesus is to point out hypocrisy. It's what makes the body of Christ better. And if that's not correct, if I'm misinterpreting a basic tenet of being a Christ follower, please tell me, because that's the way I understand it. Everyone who seeks shall find. Do, do to others whatever you like for them to do to you. The highway to hell is broad, but the gateway to life is narrow, Jesus tells us. You can identify false prophets by their fruit. That is the same for the Christ followers. You don't have to proclaim you're a Christ follower. People should know just how you live, even though we all fail and sometimes often. And, and I believe that. It's like you, you see people, you see how they act, and you know that there's something different about them. And a lot of times that difference is being a Christ follower. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. That's a quote. 
We then flipped it back to Genesis. God gave to Abram when came to Abram when Abram was 99, quote, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Now it was one nation, now it's a multitude of nations. You know, Abram's the father of Christianity, but also Islam. Ishmael would eventually become a descendant of Muhammad. God changed his uh, Abram's name to Abram's name to Abraham. Thank goodness, as I always stumble over that. Abraham's responsibility is to obey the covenant. All males must be circumcised as part of the covenant. God renamed Sarai Sarah, and God will bless Sarah, and she will bear a son. But Abraham did not believe that because he was almost 100 and Sarah was 90. But God said that Sarah will have a son and she'll be named Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised all the males in his household. Genesis 18, three men visit Abraham. Yeah, as soon as I saw this, I immediately had, had an imagery of like three wise men. There's a lot of imagery of three in the Bible, Old and New Testament as well. Uh, Abraham offered a meal for the three travelers. One said that this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah overheard this and laughed silently to herself. But the Lord said she will have a son and basically called Sarah out for laughing and not believing. The Lord told Abraham that there has been a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah due to their sins and that Abraham interceded basically um, saying that God will spare us even if a remnant of righteousness remains because you know Abraham's talking about well will you spare the city if there's like 50 righteous people and then God says yes and then Abraham says well I, I, I please I don't want to offend but let me ask another question what if it's 40 yes 30 yeah and so down the line Unfortunately, at the end, apparently there was nothing righteous left in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because we know what happens in just a little bit. But the lesson here is that if we're like that little speck of righteous in an absolutely evil world, God will spare us. Psalm 7, God is my shield, saving those who are true and right. That's the quote I took from that. God is my shield, saving those who are true and right. I want to put that up on my wall. Then on to Matthew 7, going back, starting in verse 24, quote, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It is a solid foundation. Jesus amazed the people because he thought he taught with what was perceived as real authority. And then on to Matthew 8, the first healing, I think, is what is described here. Jesus heals a leper. Then a Roman officer asked Jesus to heal a servant. This showed great faith, and Jesus was amazed. And remember, the Roman soldier is a Gentile, not a Jew. Jesus then said that the Gentiles will come from all over and will feast in the kingdom of heaven. First time that it's like the Messiah is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. Jesus then healed Peter's uh, mother-in-law, after the servant was healed within an hour, Peter's mother-in-law was very sick. Jesus then healed many. Jesus required the disciples to leave their lives to follow him. So basically the old is gone and they must follow Jesus. And then we pivot over to Genesis 19. We're back at Sodom and Gomorrah. 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 Stumbling over that a little bit. Um, men wanted to have sex with men. Lot tried to defend the men in the house. The angels told Lot to take the city because of the sins. Um, this is where I believe that Lot even offered up the daughters. Um, 
you know, I, I stumble a little bit on that as well, too. Basically, hey, take my virgin daughters and do what you want with them, but leave the men alone. I think that what is going on here is that it was a greater sin to sin against God's law and nature by having sex with another male. But regardless, the imagery is still disturbing. I, you think about the two daughters. Anyway, the angels told Lot to leave the city because of the sins of the city. Lot and his wife and two daughters, they, they did leave, but um, and they're told not to look back as they run from the city. The Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur, utterly destroying both of them. The cities, Lot's wife, though, did look back and became a pillar of salt. Lot lived in a cave then afterwards with his daughters. They got their father drunk and had sex with him so that they could continue the father's lineage. Because, of course, now the his wife is, is no longer. And both did become pregnant. The older daughter's son is an ancestor of the Moabites. The younger daughter's son became ancestor of the Ammonites. So I think that we're that that's more or less a an explanation for how those came about. Genesis twenty. Back to Abraham, he moved south and introduced Sarah again to us, um, as his or introduced Sarah again as his sister, presumably for the same reason. Um, King Abimelech did not sleep with her, however, which was good. God instructed the king to return Sarah to Abraham once the king knew what was going on. Technically, Sarah is apparently Abraham's half-sister. Same father, different mother. So technically, Abraham wasn't really lying. Abimelech then gives Abraham a thousand pieces of silver to compensate for any wrong that he may have done to her, just to be sure. Returning to Psalm 7, verses 10 through 17, God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. So even though you see all the wicked around you, take heed that God is angry with them. And then on to Matthew 8, we continue at verse 23. A fierce storm struck the boat. So Jesus and his disciples are out on a boat. They're crossing. Jesus is sleeping. The storm comes. The disciples kind of freak out. But Jesus said they didn't have faith. Once when they finally woke him up, it's like, you don't even have faith. And and and, and as a demonstration, he rebuked, rebuked the wind and the waves. Everything became calm. And this amazed the disciples. But uh, you know, probably saddened them in a little bit, little bit too, because it's like you, you should have just been calm. It, nothing's going to happen. They got to the end. Of, uh, they got to the shore, and two demon-possessed men greeted de uh, Jesus. The demons recognized Jesus. Remember, demons and Satan—they they not only know and believe in Jesus, they know him and they respect him. They understand who he is, and they, you know. It, if, if Satan believes and knows Jesus, maybe y'all should. Um, the demons recognized Jesus and begged him to cast them out to the pigs, who, which he did, and then all the pigs died. Matthew 9, the cross in the lake again to his Jesus' own town. Ever hear the parable um, that you're a prophet everywhere, but in your own town or something like that? I believe this is where it comes from, or not the parable, the saying. <clears throat> 
Jesus forgave a paralyzed man, but this angered a few of the teachers of religious law there. Jesus demonstrated his authority on earth by healing the paralyzed man. Then Jesus reads, meets Matthew in the tax collector's booth while he's there. Jesus commanded Matthew to follow him, and he obeyed. He then, Matthew then invited Jesus to eat at his house with other tax collectors. The Pharisees were like, well, quote, why does your teacher eat with such scum? The lesson here, quote, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners, which is all of us. Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Abraham is now 100. Abraham circumcised Isaac when Isaac was eight days old. Sarah demanded to Abraham that they send Hagar and Ishmael away because Hagar was making fun of Isaac. God says he will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because Ishmael is his son too, and that will end up becoming the ancestor to Muhammad, like we talked about before. Next, King Abimelech made a covenant with Abraham, noting how God blessed Abraham because Abraham is very, very wealthy. Genesis 22. Abraham is commanded by an angel of the Lord to sacrifice Isaac as a test of faith. Just think about that for a moment. He's being asked to sacrifice his only son. <coughs> well, his only son that's still around, I guess. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> <clears throat> um, this seems to parallel God's offering his son as a sacrifice for us and our sins. This must have been very difficult for Abraham. Imagine how hard it was for God when God gave us Jesus. God reiterates Abraham's blessing. And then in Genesis 23, that's when Sarah died at 127 years old. So Abraham's probably about 137. Abraham bought land to bury Sarah. Abraham insisted on buying the field and cave. This is a lesson, humility and sacrifice, despite Abraham's status. And then we return to Psalm 8. Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. The psalmist is praising God's creation. Matthew 9, 14 through 38, the disciples of John the Baptist asked Jesus, why do their disciples, why they, they don't fast like the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, that now isn't a time for fasting. It is for, quote, celebrating with the groom, end quote. Someday the groom will be taken away. Then they will fast. This is, of course, talking about Jesus. A leader of the synagogue asked for Jesus to bring back to life his daughter who just died. On the way to, to doing that, a woman who had been afflicted from bleeding for many years touched Jesus' robe, and for her faith, he healed her. Jesus then resurrects the girl, the one that he was going to save, who had died, saying that she was, quote, just asleep. Then two blind men asked Jesus to heal them, believing Jesus could heal. Jesus healed because of their faith. I always thought it was interesting that Jesus told them not to say a word, but instead they, quote, went out and spread his fame all over the region, end quote. I would think that Jesus would have known that they would do that, so why the command not to do so? Anyway, then Jesus cast out a demon from a man. All these seem to happen in rapid succession. He's doing a lot in a very short period of time. The Pharisees claimed that Jesus could do this because he was empowered by the prince of demons. I don't believe that Jesus responded to that. I think he responded just by healing more because then 
then Matthew goes into a summary. Jesus traveled, taught in the synagogues, and healed many, uh, and taught folks about the good news about the kingdom. Genesis 24, Abraham asks a servant to find a wife from his relatives for Isaac as opposed to marrying a local. Abraham didn't want Isaac to get himself to go himself back to the land that Abraham came from because God promised Abraham the land he was now in would be for all his descendants. The servant finds the one God selected for Isaac's wife. That's Rebekah. She is the granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Rebekah's family wanted to keep her 10 days, but Rebekah said that she was willing to go with Abraham's servant and with Rebekah's childhood nurse. And so they went back and she became Isaac's wife. Then moving on to Proverbs 1, 20 through 33, wisdom shouts, how long will you all be simple-minded and hate knowledge? Here, just remember that wisdom and critical thinking are God's gift. I think about a lot of the things that have happened in the last two and a half to three years. There was a loss of a lot of wisdom and critical thinking and rather replaced by narrative and groupthink, if you think about it. In Matthew 10, we are introduced to all the 12 disciples who were now given authority to cast out spirits. So you had Simon or Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, son of, son of Zebedee, not the James who is Jesus' half-brother, John, James' brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, as in doubting, Matthew, Thaddeus, James, another James, this is the son of Alphaeus. James must have been a pretty popular name back then. Simon the Zealot, and then Judas Iscariot, who of course ends up betraying Jesus. Jesus instructed the disciples to only go to the people of Israel, not to the Gentiles. And I suppose that that's because the plan was that Saul would be coming sooner than later for the Gentiles. They had authority to raise the dead, to heal the sick and cast out demons and not take money. They were instructed that don't take money, you'll be provided for. For those who don't accept the word, don't force the issue. Just shake the dust off your feet and move on. Jesus warns them that they are sheep among wolves. This will not be an easy journey. Still the same for Christians today. The Spirit will provide the right words to speak. Quote, all nations will hate you because you are my followers, but everyone who, who I believe it's perseveres or endures rather, to the end will be saved. Do not be afraid. Need that today. Genesis 25, Abraham married again and had seven more children. Then the whole genealogy follows. I, the genealogies, I kind of get a deer in the headlight look, and I think that there's sometimes deeper meaning, but it can be difficult sometimes. Abraham gave all he owned to Isaac. He's very old at this point in time, and then he died at 175 years old and was buried with Sarah. So it, it, I guess he lived another 37 or 38 years after Sarah died. Then a genealogy of Ishmael's descendants follow, and Ishmael died at 137. His descendants lived in open hostility towards all their relatives. Now Esau, Esau and Jacob are born, um, and Esau and Jacob would become two nations who would be rivals. The older son would serve the younger. Esau was the one with thick hair and was born red. 
and then Jacob was born after Esau. Esau sold his birthright for stew after a hard day's hunt to Jacob. Now in Genesis 26, we're introduced to that there's a severe famine. God instructs Isaac not to go to Egypt, but to stay in the land God promised to Abraham. Presumably, Egypt was doing better with the famine than where they were at. Isaac then does the same with Rebekah that Abraham did with Sarah, claiming that she is his sister because the Philistines would kill him to get her. She was that beautiful. King Abimelech discovered the ruse, and that angered the king. Abimelech orders the people not to touch Isaac or Rebekah on the penalty of death. Now, Isaac had acquired much wealth. The Philistines became jealous and plugged up all of his wells. Finally, Abimelech orders Isaac to leave. He does. I guess, Abimelech, I guess Isaac is causing too much trouble for Abimelech. And then Isaac settles where Abraham lived. An argument over water rights ensued. I'm assuming that water was very important during the famine, more so than usual. Eventually, Abimelech made a covenant with Isaac, and Abimelech saw the Lord was with Isaac. Psalm 9, 1-6, I will praise the Lord. Straight forward. Then on to Matthew 10, 32-42, quote, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But anyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't be afraid to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. Jesus did not come to bring peace. He emphasizes that. A lot of times people are thinking about, you know, the lovey-dovey, nicey-nicey God. That's not the case here. Remember, God is a just God. Enemies will be in your household. Jesus talks about brother against brother and, and where are your loyalties? Then on to Matthew 11, Jesus resumed teaching and preaching, and John the Baptist sent his disciples, John is in prison at this point in time, sent his disciples to ask if Jesus was in fact the Messiah. Jesus responds to basically, this is my interpretation, but just look at my acts, look at what I've done. Would anybody else who is not the Messiah be able to do this? Quote, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Genesis 27, Jacob steals Esau's blessing. He already has the birthright, but now he has the blessing from Isaac because Isaac is old and about to die and is, is blind. And um, But Isaac blesses Esau thinking that Esau uh, is actually blessing Jacob, thinking that Jacob is Esau. When Esau finally comes for his blessing, Isaac trembles when he realized what had happened, the deception, but the blessing can't be removed. The blessing must stand, quote, is what Isaac says. Esau hated Jacob and planned to kill him, so Jacob fled. Rebekah overheard all Esau's plans and convinced Jacob to leave. Genesis 28, Isaac blessed Jacob and instructed him not to marry any Canaanite woman, but rather one of his uncle's daughters in Paddan Aram. Jacob has a dream at Bethel, a stairway that reached up from earth to heaven and saw the angels of God going up and down the stairs. And then at the top stood the Lord. The Lord blessed Jacob, stating his will, he will have many descendants. He sat on a stone, or he set up a stone, rather, that he had laid his head on. Jacob did this. Afterwards, after he woke up, 
And he created this as a memorial. He named the place Bethel, which means house of God. That's it for this week. A lot going on. Um, I always find it difficult to, I'm not going to say that, I'm, to use the word cut out things that Jesus said, but you, you, you look at the way that the New Testament, at least starting now with Matthew, is written versus how Moses wrote Genesis. That's the assumption. And I can't help but think that Matthew is just packing an awful, awful lot more into a very, very short space. I guess that's what he did. That's it for this week. God bless you, and we'll see you next Monday.